Film Files, what's going on? We're back, and uh, it's going to be kind of an intimate episode tonight. I'm joined by Joey Fondle. Joey, hello. Hello, Jimmy. How are you? Oh, I'm doing okay. We just watched a movie that was a, uh, I guess it was an, an appropriate title for a cozy, intimate evening. We watched a movie called Fargo from 1996. Stay with us. This is Movie Show Theater. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Good morning, Vietnam! I drink your milkshake. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. Keep the change, you filthy animal. Sorry, you just tough talk a dead body? Get busy living or get busy dying. Keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. That's God right. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You ain't heard nothing yet. Um, but we went with, uh, I guess, another 90s movie. We went with Fargo. Came out in 1996, directed by Joel Cohen, written by Joel and Ethan Cohen. And uh, me and Joey just watched the last 40 minutes. Uh, before we get into that, though... Did you watch anything this week uh, that you'd like to recommend or specifically not recommend? I'll tell you what. I watched uh, I watched the first half of Snowden yesterday. The uh, What's his name? Joseph Gordon. JGL. JGL. I always want to call him Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. But that's not his name. No. Do you <laughs> like Jake Gyllenhaal better? I do like Jake Gyllenhaal better. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I, I got no beef with him. Uh, Snowden was okay. I haven't been a huge fan of Oliver Stone's most recent movies. I, I can't tell you what the last one that I, I really liked was. Maybe Born the on Doors. The, the Doors, Born on the Fourth of July. Like his classic movies, I'm, I'm a really big fan of. But uh, going into the aughts and the his aughts. the aughts, uh, I think uh, what was the one that he made? It was the guy from Kick Ass was in it. And oh, more recently. Yeah. Do you remember? Do you know what movie I'm talking about? No, I don't. There was that movie, and then there was W, the oh, yeah. scathing indictment of George W. Bush. He's one of those directors that pushes his agenda. He does push his agenda. Really tiring. He absolutely does, yeah. It's not an agenda that I always disagree with. Um, Snowden was just... I, I, I was expecting sort of a dense political thriller... And I was on board for that. I was ready for a movie that I really had to pay attention to. And I don't know what... I really haven't had time... Again, I only watched the first half of it. So I'm, yeah. not, I'm not at liberty to give it a completely fair review. But I actually shut it off because I was that bored with it. And it's a, it's a topic that I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. You know, I watched the trailer and uh, it was something that I was on board for. But just not into it. it. I just felt like it wasn't working as a movie. Part of the movie, like the sort of like the the framework for the movie, is that he's being interviewed by this documentary crew. And in real life, this documentary crew went off and made the documentary. I think it's called Citizen Something. Mm-hmm. It's like a Citizen a Number. I don't. I, I can't even tell you what the actual name of this movie is because I haven't seen it. Uh, and I just felt like while I was watching this movie, like, why am I not just watching the documentary? Yeah, why, am, yeah. why am I watching Snowden with, with Jake Gyllenhaal slash Joseph Gordon-Levitt? <laughs> so, uh, and... Well, that's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, it was unfortunate. I was really looking forward to that one. And it was also free on Amazon, so... Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
It sucks when you get to the point of no return, when you're like, oh, God, I really don't care how this movie ends, but I need to know. See, that one I know. I know that he's still uh, enemy number one <laughs> of, yeah. of the United States, and it's a really freaky movie. There are parts that would make great YouTube videos, is kind of how I felt about it. Yeah. There's little two-minute segments where I thought, if you could extract this from the larger movie and put it on YouTube, it would be a great little thing to watch uh where they're talking about all of the ways that people are able the all the ways that the nsa and the cia are able to spy on the american people through webcams and through their cell phones Mm -hmm. all that stuff is very interesting but as a movie with the characters and it's just it just didn't work snowden's kind of a boring guy to me i'm not really sure like there's nothing really redeeming about him as a character to me yeah yeah, I feel like the technology is almost so interesting that it's more interesting than the subject matter. You know? Absolutely. There was, did you ever see the movie The Conversation with Gene Hackman? I haven't seen it. No, I want to. It, it was in the 70s. It was, it's basically Enemy of the State. Mm-hmm. I would venture to guess that Enemy of the State was pretty much a remake because Gene Hackman was in that. He could have been playing the same character, but he was, I mean, it's, it is the story of Enemy of the State. So somebody watched that and they thought, you know what this needs is Big Willie style. Big Willie style. And he's the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Speaking of, I wish that you could, there was an option where you could remove movies from the Netflix menu that you know you'll never watch. Yeah, that would be helpful. Wouldn't that be interesting? Yeah. There's a lot of interesting looking movies on Netflix, and I just have no idea if it's worth the investment. There's a lot of movies that I'll watch five minutes of, and I give myself five minutes, and I say, if I, if I absolutely hate this, I'm going to shut it off after five minutes. And nine times out of ten on, on Netflix, I, that's exactly what happens. It never works. Yeah. A lot of times, I, it seems like they spend all their money on uh, the cover art. I always get deceived by cover art with a lot of the Netflix They have Netflix great movies. cover art. The yeah. cover art on Netflix is, is like bar none. It's the best cover art of all of the streaming services. Yeah. If you go on to um, like Hulu, their cover art is terrible. If you go down like past the TV shows, if you go down to the movies... Their cover art is literally just a screen grab from the movie. Yeah. And they had they typed in like Helvetica, just like as boring a font as they could find the name of the movie yeah. over the screen grab. And, and I'm like, HBO who? Go is just a random still from the movie too. Yeah. I'm like, who was in charge of this? I don't think anybody who has any sort of uh, passion in film. Or maybe it's just like an automatically generated. You know, like when you upload a video to YouTube... When you choose the cover art yeah. or whatever your icon is going to be, they give you like four random stills from the video and but, you have to choose yeah. one. People have hacked that though True. on YouTube where they, they, they know going in when they edit their video, these are the stills that I'm going to be afforded when I upload my video. True. And they always use the one with like the woman with the gratuitous cleavage and that's the, that's the still that gets them like two million views. It's really sad. But we were on HBO, and there's, we have like an ongoing list of movies that were like, oh, yeah, I wanted to see that. I mean, not tonight, but I mean, I just wanted to see that. Yeah. And it's like in the hundreds now. And so we finally sat down to watch Suicide Squad. Oh, okay. And we just saw recently Wonder Woman, which uh, kind of reinvigorated the, the DC universe because they've had a yeah. couple of turds recently. Totally. Did you watch Suicide Squad? I didn't see Suicide Squad. Of those movies, I've only seen Man of Steel, 
um, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, and Wonder Woman. That's quite a few. I think that's I three. Is that one. is that three out of four? Have there been more than that? I think Suicide Squad is the last one that we hadn't seen. But you hated Man of Steel, but you love the score. Correct. Is that right? That's correct. That's really interesting because I'm I can I have movies that are the same way. Or it's like I love that I hated the movie, but it was shot so well yeah. that I'm very forgiving. I thought the trailer for Man of Steel was so good. I was so excited for Man of Steel because of the trailer. They released a three-minute trailer before the movie came out, and it was just—it was perfect. It was pitch perfect. And then the movie—I went and saw that. Is is terrible. I, I would go so far as to almost call it an unwatchable movie. And it's just Superman getting his ass Superman for like getting his ass four, hours. four hours, and it's like they didn't learn any of their lesson with Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. It was a terrible movie. Uh, Wonder Woman, though, I thought was fantastic. Yeah. I think it's I think it's one it's a transcendent movie where anyone can go see it. You can take your wife, you can take your girlfriend. Everyone's gonna love and Wonder do Woman. Do take your girlfriend. Do take your girlfriend. Take your take your daughter. It's a wonderful movie. Yeah, I Almost, feel like they they change the the formula a little bit too. I mean, it's still kind of new, so I don't want to get everything away. But I think uh, I I just think it really depends on the screenplay. And I think with these most recent movies, they're all. They're trying to fit too much in there. They're all trying to like lead into the next movie. Yeah, totally. They're you know? all setups. Yeah, so Batman v Superman. It's Batman v Superman, but you have Wonder Woman in there, and you have the setup for the Flash and Cyborg and Aquaman. It's just too much is happening in there, and it's kind of like the problem with all of them. And I feel like this is it's like a common complaint, and you know I don't want to go into it too much. It's been beaten to death, but. It's like, why does, it, why does it have to be in there? Like, why can't each movie stand on its own legs? That was the thing about Wonder Woman that I like the most, is Wonder Woman is a complete movie. It takes place in the present where she's she receives a message from Bruce Wayne, like with a picture of her when in World War One, where she's with her World War One buddies, and there, he leaves like a little post-it note on the on the picture that says, someday, like, you'll tell me your entire story. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's like Dewey Cox, like, you yeah, know, yeah, when, yeah. before Dewey Cox performs, he has to like think about his entire life, where yeah. she like then like goes into this flashback, and the flashback is the movie. But with like you know like without those bookends, the movie still would have completely stood on its own. Yeah, it's not really necessary. It just sounds, it's a ridiculous title. I think, Batman v Superman. I feel like Zack Snyder always corrects people when people are like, "Oh, I love Batman versus Superman." He's like, uh, "Batman v Superman." It's Batman v Superman. It's, it's actually like, BVS if you would. Uh, yeah. If you wouldn't mind. Uh, so I, I was telling uh, Joey before we started recording that this is one of the first movies I saw that kind of opened my eyes to the different technical aspects of film and the idea of camera work telling. Usually it's a parallel story, but a lot of times it's done to heighten emotion or to uh, throw you off track or, you know, the music in Fargo is very dramatic the the movie is dramatic but the music is like over the top with a lot of the orchestral tones and it kind of goes from like noir to mystery to thriller and there's movie scholars that have written thesis papers on Fargo but if you just want to watch it as a thriller then that's fine too it's not this pretentious movie that oh you don't understand Fargo cuz it's a simple plot the story goes deep, but it's a simple plot. Yeah, definitely. What thesis papers have been written about it? That's I would what I would love. Been, I would. Love I would love to, to read. read a thesis paper on Fargo. I was just thinking. There's a scene where William H Macy, 
Jerry Lundegaard. <laughs> Jerry Lundegaard, uh-huh. who I kind of imagine is kind of William H. Macy. Maybe to or a certain extent, yeah. Because right. Shameless is kind of an awesome show. Yeah. Um, or just the idea of Shameless, I don't know. But he meets with his wealthy uh, father-in-law and business partner, and he tries to sell them a piece of real estate, but what he really wants is just to get them to buy it, and then he wants to receive all the income. They tell him no. He's in, He's just, he's had a rough week. Mm-hmm. He's had a rough week. Yeah. And so he walks out to his car, and they show this parking lot from this bird's eye view, and there's train tracks that are running parallel to his car and he's on one side of the train tracks and his car is on the other side of the train tracks and it's just this very intentional i i feel like they're suggesting that jerry is in kind of a crossroads in life here and and going to this car represents one thing yeah where he's at represents another thing and the the movie is kind of filled with that where yeah it's great touches, but if, if you don't pick up on it, it's okay. It doesn't, yeah. like, detract from the movie. It's like he's about to cross the line ethically. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, we were watching it, and you mentioned that Joel and Ethan Cohen are masters of the wide shot. There's so many wide shots in Fargo where you, like, just kind of take a step back and you're watching the action unfold in front of you. That's one of the things that I think, like, that movie is really good at. Um, but I agree with you where it's like, if you understand the language of film, it's a great movie. And if you don't like on a superficial level, it's a great movie as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's the, we're talking about the characters, John Carroll Lynch, who I was explaining my fascination for this character. He played Drew Carey's cross-dressing brother in the That's Drew right. Carey show. And he's kind of been a, that guy for a lot of years. And he played twisty, the clown, uh, and, uh, American Horror Story yeah. Freak Show. And he's kind of becoming more of a household name. I don't know if I would quite say it, but he's a super cool guy. Because we just had lunch today. I don't know why I say he's a super cool guy. Um, I feel like he's still like that guy, though. I feel like John yeah. Carroll Lynch, like not everybody, like I didn't know John Carroll Lynch's name until he told me it today. I feel like he's still very much that guy. Yeah. He's in a lot of movies. Yeah, I've never met anybody who's like, oh, I love John Carroll Lynch. I'll see anything that John Carroll Lynch yeah, yeah, makes. Yeah, yeah. Honey, we got to go catch the new John Carroll Lynch movie. So yeah, so this Marge and Norm. Norm is kind of the the bumbly husband who he's not fat, but he's kind of shapes. It's kind of a doofus, kind of a yeah, dope. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he's he's not ugly, but he's not attractive. He's just kind of like middle of the road. Yeah, across the spectrum. I think Marge and Norm probably met in high school, right? Mm-hmm. Unless it's stated in the movie. I don't, I don't think, think it's it is. Stated, yeah. Or maybe in the police station. Maybe in the police station. Yeah, that makes sense. Because um, she's the chief. Yeah. And he has some desk job. I feel like maybe he got injured and like he had to take a desk job. I don't I don't know. That's interesting. Why do why do you think that they chose that dynamic for the movie? Like why do you think that Marge first off, like why do you think that they chose Marge to be the main character. Like, why is it the female as opposed to the stereotype in that type of movie where it's usually the male who's the detective mm-hmm. researching the case? And in in the case of Fargo, it's a pregnant woman, and her husband is kind of a, an oaf and a doofus. He like he doesn't know like completely what's going on throughout yeah. the movie. The, He's such she, a psychic. Yeah, she comes home at the end of the day and talks to him. They. You know, they curl up in bed, 
and they just kind of move on with their lives and they mm-hmm. talk about they don't talk about work she doesn't talk about the guy going into the wood chipper really right which I think is really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, why, you know, like, what inspires somebody like Joel and Ethan Cohen to, to make that decision, to make that choice? Well, I, I imagine that playing on gender role stereotypes is one, and, and the way that it kind of challenges the viewer. I think that the choice to have the movie set in Fargo, North Dakota, makes it a little more chilling because, yeah. it's, you know, so many of these settings and characters and locations are like so unbelievably mundane and seemingly non-cinematic. You know, I made the joke to Joey, there's a scene where they go to interview this eyewitness and it looks like driving through Goodfield, Illinois. And the cinematographer, Roger Deakins, he's for sure one of my favorites. He does all of the Coen Brothers movies. He's worked with Sam Mendes and he's worked with... uh, I don't know. Anyway, he's he's one of the the legends of the biz, but he's managed to create these like haunting landscapes with Fargo, and I think because of the cold and because of the innate isolation of like living in a town like that, yeah. the white shots really drive home that isolation. So I think it's a a mixture of like yeah, challenging gender roles and. Um, but they've always been masters of characterization. Definitely. I mean, that's one of my favorite. What What do you think? I'm gonna. I'll, I'll answer your question with another question. Yeah. What What is your favorite Coen Brothers movie? When I just said that sentence, what was the first thing that popped into your mind? <laughs> the Big Lebowski. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, the Big Lebowski, probably followed by Fargo. Mm-hmm. I would say maybe they're tied in my mind. Because they always have larger than life characters. And Fargo is interesting because they're not. They're, like, so boring. Yeah. With with the exception of Marge, because it seems like Jerry and Marge are polar opposites. Yeah. And I really enjoy their scenes together because William H. Macy's character, Jerry Lungard, as, like, the wormy car salesman, he's, like, he's jealous of everybody who has money he really doesn't like himself. He really doesn't like his life. He's not content. He's kind of cowardice. He's unsure of himself. And Marge is this confident, assertive, smart go-getter who kicks ass while being pregnant. I love this scene when Peter Stormare kills the cop when they get pulled over. Yeah. Shoots him right in the head. Right. And then the next day, Frances McDormand and her partner are investigating the scene and she puts the story together in seconds. Yeah. And she figures out, oh, there's two separate footprints. One of them is bigger. There was a big guy. So she's, like, picking things up left and right, and she bends over. Partner's like, do you see something there, Marge? She's like, no, just think I'm going to barf. <laughs> and it's funny because there's very few lines that are truly comedic. Yeah. But this is one of those movies that... It kind of questions your um, morality, maybe, because it's really dark and it mixes violence and comedy in a very interesting way where the funny parts aren't necessarily obvious, you know, like American Psycho. I think there's a lot of hilarious moments in American Psycho. Yeah. But that's a really f***ed up movie. It is a really f***ed up movie. I think a lot of the comedy in Fargo 
comes from the characters, from like the country bumpkin sort of characters that she interviews while she's on the case. Mm-hmm. Um, like the language of in the the accent and everything, like all that is obviously really comedic. But there's no standout jokes, you know, aside from like what you mentioned, where she's like, "I think I'm gonna barf," like things like like little quiet moments like that. Mm-hmm. I, it's it's hard because you you want to say that it's a funny movie. I think Fargo is being a really funny movie. Yeah, but it's not like it's a jokey movie. Yeah, it's just that they find this humor in this really desperate situation, which I think like the TV show does as well too. Where it was kind of like I was listening, listening to a what's the name of the guy that Noah came, Hawley? Noah Hawley. Yeah, I was listening to an interview with Noah Hawley on on NPR where he was talking about his inspiration for the show. And I think you were telling me, Jimmy, that it's Joel and Ethan Cohen collaborated on the very first episode, the pilot episode of, of Fargo. And uh, then kind of like were hands off for the rest of it. And Noah Hawley was saying that in coming up with the TV show, he looked back at the movie and he tried to figure out what the theme of the movie was. And what he came up with is that in that final scene where she's driving with Peter Stormare in the back of the car and she says, you know, all this, all this just for a little bit of money, that was the theme that he took Mm -hmm. and ran with and, like, what he thought Fargo was kind of all about. Yeah. So it's kind of like Fargo, the movies, it's just about, like, the absurdity of it all. It's like about the, you know, like, the world isn't an incredibly terrible place. Like, there are good people in the world, like the people that... That are like like Marge Gunderson, you know, but then there are there are truly evil people who are just you know she doesn't understand it, mm-hmm. like all this for just a little bit of money, yeah, she does have such an interesting facial expression. I think you're right about the humor too I think if you if you read this screenplay, mm-hmm. I don't think it would have the same effect, and no. I don't think that it would be funny, even the puke line, you know, I love when Marge is interviewing the two younger girls that uh, Peter Stormare and Steve Buscemi have sex with. Mm-hmm. And um, part of it is is the funny accent that I love to love. Yeah. But the delivery of those lines and just imagining these girls as just two small-town gals who, like, have probably had, you know, have had sex with a lot of people and they're just very open and candid and they yeah. don't, you know, they're not uh, jaded by the world. They're not... They don't uh, censor themselves, and I don't know, just their delivery, and it was just it was just really funny. I wonder if those lines were built into the script. Like, I wonder if they wrote the accent into the script, or if that yeah. was something that was that came up later on, like yeah. while they were filming. I like to think that they did a lot of their casting while they were, yeah, because that's what, where Joel and Ethan grew up. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, as in, I don't, I not necessarily um, Fargo. I think it was Minneapolis. Okay, well, that makes total sense then. Yeah. I wonder if it was like, so you ever see the movie Bernie with Jack Black? No. So in Bernie, uh, it was um, Richard Linklater directed yeah. it. And it takes place in Texas. And most of the ancillary characters in Bernie are people that he just kind of like found. They're not actors. They were people that lived in the town where they filmed the movie that he just put into the movie. And like that's where like a lot of the humor comes from. So I wonder if they did something similar in Fargo. Where it's just like, so. yeah. Because they do, I mean, I've obviously, I've never been to Fargo, but the attitude and the, like, general consensus on life seems to match, seems to be appropriate with the way that they're executed by a lot of the yeah. the characters. And the cop that Margie works with is so funny. They're in the car, and the license plate that was on the suspicious car 
was like DLR seventy nine twenty eight, and the cop has his theory on who this might belong to, and Marge is like. Uh, I gotta say, I, I don't know if I agree 100% on your police work there, Lou. You think that uh, DLR might be dealer? I think those were uh, dealer plates, yeah? I don't know, it's just... I haven't been to Fargo, but like like we were saying, I, I have been to Wisconsin Dells. Yeah. So I think it's one of those situations where it's like, if you were going to write a movie, and you were like, I'm going to write a movie that takes place in Wisconsin Dells, and it's about a murder that takes place in Wisconsin Dells. Like, of course it would be funny. Yeah. Like I feel like one of the things where you select the location, like you were saying, they selected the place where they grew up. Like they knew that like this situation in this place was going to have sort of an inherent like quirkiness mm-hmm. and weirdness and, and humor to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we haven't really talked too much about the show. I think we just found it on a whim and I wouldn't of all the movies that I've seen in my life, I wouldn't necessarily have guessed that Fargo would have been such a great like spin-off show. Yeah. But it is unbelievable. I was really confused when I saw it for the first time that they were making a Fargo TV show. I thought like what is this? Like yeah. it's like a cash grab, like just like cashing in on on the yeah, name 30 Fargo. Years later. Yeah, and I watched the first season because people kept telling me how great it was and it was fantastic. The first season is is wonderful. The second season is even better. I haven't watched the third season yet, but I I have high hopes for it. I'm I'm scared. You're scared? To watch it. That's, that's part of it. Me and Anna loved the first two so much. And every time that they released a new teaser for season three, I, was, I would watch it like eight or nine times. Yeah. And when we started the first episode, it was after I had worked a double and Anna had worked like 12 straight hours. And we were like 20 minutes in and we both fell asleep. Yeah. Not because it was bad. It was right. just, it was like 1030 at night, whatever. But I was scared to watch it because it's... There's a lot of pressure on, on this third season because the first yeah. one did well, the second one did even better, and now everyone's like, ah, yeah, for don't sure. disappoint us. For sure. And this, you know, the star power has gotten better, and the marketing, they've got put more money into the marketing, and this, the soundtrack in the second one was out of control. It was amazing. fantastic. It was mostly covers of famous songs, and they did this one famous cover of uh just dropped in by kenny rogers <laughs> you remember the dream sequence song remember. from the big lebowski yeah just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in is that yeah. right yeah there's a band called um blue denim and they I did love it. a song called just dropped in and uh yeah And they played it, I think, right at the end credits of one of the episodes of season two. That's weird. I didn't even make that connection. I woke this morning, the sun down, shining in. I found my mind in a brown paper bag within. I tripped on a cloud and fell Condition, my condition was in. Push my soul in a deep dark hole. 
so much funkier i mean like season two takes place in the 70s right yeah and season one was like the present day or like a little yeah, bit before like yeah like 2006 or yeah yeah like season two was wonderful like I, I mean season two one of the things i i like really liked about season two was the alien angle yeah i always thought that was so weird and just so out there as like a thing to to throw in yeah 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 totally and it was weird too. It's been out for long enough, so sorry if you haven't watched uh, Fargo season two. Uh, we're about to spoil the shit out of it. But the aliens, I can't remember if this is if this was me or Anna that put this together. But the aliens are really fucking with the Gearhards because because of the aliens, Rye dies yeah. at the beginning. Yeah, and because of the aliens, Bear dies because uh, Patrick Wilson and Bear are like fighting on the ground at that crazy hotel scene yeah and bear looks up at the ufo and then patrick wilson shoots him and kills him and uh it's, it might just be coincidence it's just like fan theory shit, but but what is the the point of the aliens this yeah. is something i always think I about like like why put that in there and what did you think about ted danson's explanation when they finally confronted him you remember that and he was explained that he like was trying to develop a language or something i don't remember that they found all of these weird pictures and drawings in ted danson's house <laughs> yeah that were it was like a shrine and it was all about uh the aliens and it was like clippings and there was like drawings of the same ships that we were shown and it yeah. was like it was weird hieroglyphics that he had drawn and they asked him about it and he was like uh yeah, it said it was some language. That, I don't know. I thought it was bullshit. I thought it was a uh, diversion tactic that we were not supposed to believe. And I am assuming that they'll touch back on it. Because they didn't they do anything to. like that in the first yeah. season. No, they didn't. It was like the second season was just like they they knew that what they had gotten away with in the first season. So the second season, they was like, how much more can we get away with this time around? Mm-hmm. It was like, maybe aliens? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then it, they did it really well too. They did, yeah. Like it's not a it's not a thing that feels like out of place in that season. Yeah. Odd, oddly enough, yeah, very interesting. But it didn't piss me off. No, either. you know, Lost would do shit like that. Where even after even ten years later, after the probably longer than that, that the show's been done, there's still things that never got answered. Right. And I heard in an interview with one of the creators that they were just writing episodes each week as the show went on like nobody had a master plan for how the show was going to end and if they were having writer's block it was like let's just do a flashback episode yeah and so they would just try to cram in too much so i think that american audiences are okay with not having everything spoon-fed to them and this is one of those things where we're not going to get an answer and it's just going to have to be okay yeah and i feel like it's different from lost in the fact that 
they don't present it as something that has an answer. They don't present it as a mystery. Yeah. Whereas Lost, all of those all of those questions were presented as things that were going to be answered at some point mm-hmm. and weren't. And I True. think that's like why like a lot of the the outcry against Lost has happened. Yeah, they kind uh, of insinuated. That yeah. They were gonna... I know that's why I am not a huge fan of Lost. I watched every episode of Lost like when it came on. What was your relationship with Lost by the end? Was, was it estranged? It, it it was a little bit estranged. Yeah, I. Yeah, with with every episode of the last season, I kept thinking there's less and less a chance that they are going to wrap all of this up, and they didn't. It got kind of sloppy, right? It got really sloppy. It was just so obvious that they like had no idea where they were. <laughs> no idea. But the mystery was better than the, the mystery of like the like the first season of Lost is is fantastic because that's where they present all of the mysteries. So your imagination kind of runs with it. And yeah, your pilot is still one of the best pilots I've ever seen. The pilot's fantastic. You're trying to figure out in your head, like, what could this be? And your your imagination is always going to be better than than what they come up with to you. It's kind of like Star Wars, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like that's one of the reasons why people like the original trilogy of Star Wars better than the prequels. Because mm-hmm. the original trilogy left a lot more to your imagination than the prequels did. They just show you everything. Yeah. And it's boring. And um, so I feel like with like Fargo season two, nothing is presented as a mystery that like is going to be solved. Mm-hmm. You kind of like somehow they, they insinuate from the outset, like there's going to be aliens in this season. And that's that. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's yeah, not yeah, something yeah. that we're going to go too deeply into. We're telling you a story yeah. and you're going to like it or not. Right. So speaking of story, I also like that uh, the beginning of Fargo, both the movie and the TV show have a little disclaimer that this is based on a true story the names have been changed to protect the innocent and in respect to the dead everything else has remained the same so you don't need any sort of documented proof or evidence to make that claim at the beginning of a movie or a tv show and it obviously makes sense why you would put it at the beginning of a mystery thriller because it just makes it all the more riveting uh to be told that it's uh, a true story and i don't see that as much anymore but the whole um found footage idea and the whole like making a murderer sort of trend that's going around i think kind of plays on that tactic it's really this is real right it's really bold that they put that in there you know because that could have i feel like in someone else's hands that could have backfired a lot but when the public sort of came around to finding out that that was a lie that they just kind of put in there. For some yeah. reason with the Coen brothers, you forgive them. You, like yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't say like, oh my gosh, they like tried to dupe us all. It could have been controversy. Or, yeah, it could have been controversy. They could have been accused of trying to like fool everybody. But for some reason with those guys, you find that out and you just say like, oh, those Coen brothers, yeah, they're yeah. at it again. And I wonder why they did I wonder like, like it's just such a bold move. And I wonder why they did it in the first place. And I wonder if that's something that... You know, but you I've and never I, seen that done before. And no, no, not so, not so blatantly false. Yeah, completely made up. Yeah, and not to say that loosely based on real events or anything like that, because they even give you, they say the events took place in Fargo, North Dakota, in nineteen eighty-seven or whenever it is yeah. in nineteen ninety-six, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, I never really thought about how how bold of a move that was. But it worked, and I'm I, I, I'm not mad at him about it. 
If someone did that now, like people would call it out, mm-hmm. like immediately. Yeah. Some somehow then, and it was so 1996. Is that when the movie came out? Mm-hmm. So it was before the internet. So like, word didn't disseminate as quickly. Yeah. That that was a lie. Like I remember finding that out probably when I was in high school in like the 2000s. Yeah. By that time, nobody cared. Anymore. No one cared Everybody anymore. Had yeah. Fall in love with it. I yeah. guess there was a story that a man had been kidnapped and then it turned out that his wife had hired somebody to kidnap his husband for ransom somebody in the production said that that was like kind of an inspiration Mm -hmm. but there was no wood chipper there was no wood chipper not sticking steve buscemi's foot into a wood chipper oh my god i remember seeing that scene and just like my blood curdled when i watched that it's one of those where it's like i remember watching fargo when it first came out so if we're going back to 1996, then I was like 10 or 11 years old. I don't know who was letting me watch this movie, but it's the same people that let me watch, like RoboCop. Yeah, Terminator. Uh, Terminator, yeah. Uh, it's just like disturbing. Yeah. It's a disturbing thing to see, and it's like all the wood is just covered in blood. It's coming out of the wood chipper. Yeah. Yeah, there, I, could, I can probably think of a list of five rated R movies that I should not have seen at what the age that I did, and they are all thanks to my father. The first movie that I ever remember seeing in my life was The Terminator. Mm-hmm. Uh, Starship Troopers would be up there. Definitely. There's boobs in Starship Troopers. Yeah, there's boobs among in Among other, sucking. the brain-sucking bug. Um, just the whole movie is... The, set, <laughs> the shower scene. That's right. Actually, watching it now, we did that one for the podcast. That was a did you? kind of a funny movie, because Paul Verhoeven is a perv. He's a dirty perv. He did Hollow Man. I like Paul Verhoeven. I like, I like him too. Uh, I, mean, I love Total Recall, of course. I like the satire. Like, so Starship Troopers is like a, it's a satire. Yeah. You know, like yeah, same as was, RoboCop. Yeah, that was kind of my takeaway with Starship Troopers, what it, that it was uh, kind of, because that was based on a novel that came yeah. out in the 40s or something. But like the novel, before. the novel was like, uh, like almost like pro-fascism from what mm-hmm. I understand. I haven't read it. But uh, so like the movie took like an alternate approach because Paul Verhoeven, I, I don't know this for a fact, like maybe you could research this, but I think he was a survivor of the Holocaust. Is that based I, on a true story? I think he was something, something along those lines. And, uh, and so I'll, that has informed a lot of his work, obviously. So he took Starship Troopers, which was this pro-fascist novel and turned it into a satire about militarism. Mm-hmm. And about like warmongering, I love Starship Troopers. Not appropriate for kids. Yeah. And anyway, what are some for you? Yeah, RoboCop, oh, also yeah. per- Paul Verhoeven movie is is terrible. No child should be subjected no. to RoboCop. Can you fly, Bobby? It's a really screwed up movie. Like I, that could never happen nowadays. Like there, ne- there's. They made a remake of RoboCop, and it was just like a, it was like vanilla ice cream. Like, oh my god! It, it, like you'll we'll never have a movie like the original RoboCop again. It just can't happen. Like that was a product product of its time, and the idea of like young me watching that movie. And there was a lot of that back in the day. I remember like Forrest Gump, like like seeing that like when I was like eight years old. And like, be just being so confused by so many scenes. <laughs> Mom, my just, brain is not developed enough. Yeah, for this. yeah. Just like, I mean, it's like Forrest Gump isn't an inappropriate movie like RoboCop is, but like, there's just so many. There's a lot of adult themes going on in that. So movie. many adult themes, so many things about history that, like, when you're eight years old, you just <laughs> don't get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and uh, like Vietnam, like people getting blown to pieces. I mean, I'm sure there's like better examples, things more like RoboCop. I mean, I watched like Puppet Master. I saw like mm-hmm. so many scary movies. But there is certain imagery. Like, I don't even know why I was watching Fargo because ten year old me would have thought it was pretty boring. Because mm-hmm. there's not a. This is a. It's a very character driven movie, as most of the Coen Brothers movies are. I think my favorite Coen Brothers movie is Raising Arizona. Oh, yeah. Because it's the most uh, nostalgic for me. I, I totally just... forgot about Raising Arizona. Oh, it's so Yeah. Good. That's okay. one. I, I like, want a baby high. I right. want one of them babies. Well, Nathan Jr. Yeah. That's what, like, you're right, dude. Like, that's, a, that's such a nostalgic movie. That was one where, like, I, my parents put me to bed, and I would get up, and I would, like, go downstairs, and I would peek through, like, the little like yeah. bars on the stairway, you know, it would be such a great and, visual. And they it. would be watching Raising Arizona. It was like that, and um, and the original Vacation were one that mm-hmm. they watched when I was like a little kid. And Popeye with Robin Williams, like that's one where like I watched it later in life and had the most bizarre like toddler flashbacks yeah, of yeah, my yeah. life. Where I was like, I know, like I I just sat as like a three year old and watched this movie because I, I have these. Watching a movie that you haven't seen since you were three years old is the weirdest experience. It's a trip, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Flight of the Navigator, I felt like I was watching a home video. Right. Fargo, I don't remember. There, like, It's one where it was. it's just old enough that like, I don't really remember there ever not being a Fargo. Yeah, you know I what I mean? I remember life before Fargo. I remember life before Fargo. But I remember, I remember seeing the wood chipper, not really putting... You know, they show you the blood, they show you a pile of bloody something, and then you see a little bloody something, and then they zoom in, and oh, it's a foot. It's for sure a foot. You see the form, the sock, the pant. It's like this big reveal, and I just remember being horrified as a kid. Yeah. Like, I don't know what I thought the blood was. I I don't know. I can't explain 10-year-old me. I like how he's tried to shove like just all of Steve Buscemi into the wood chipper. It would have worked it was too. Like it would have been for those darn kids. Like he was completely dressed. Like his foot still had its sock on. Yeah, yeah. You would think like he would at least take the socks off. And then to what? put to put him in the wood chipper. Yeah, I, maybe you'd need something to push a sock into a wood chipper. I don't know. I've never operated a wood chipper. I haven't either. I definitely haven't put a body in one. Do you think that but that would be a pretty good way to rid a body? I think it's a terrible way to rid a body. Because the thing's like, it spews out whatever it's chopping up. Mm-hmm. So you see in the movie, he's like pushing Steve Buscemi into the wood chipper. And it's shoot, it's shooting little pieces of Steve Buscemi like all over the yard. That's a, that's but I don't a, know if they'd be able to tell it was Steve Buscemi. That's a DNA nightmare, man. Yeah, that's true. Not if he's putting pneumonia over, over everything. Right. Wait, did I say put pneumonia over put, everything? Put pneumonia. <laughs> Just have an old lady cough on all of the blood and then yeah. it'll be fine. Uh, so the other funny thing about Fargo... Well, we're just not going to get to all the funny things about Fargo. But I like how uh, usually the really funny moments are accompanied by really violent moments... And I've noticed, uh, I mean, other directors do this too, like Tarantino is, is known for this, but I think the difference is that a lot, Tarantino's worlds are also immersed in pop culture. And the Coen brothers, I think one of the reasons why movies like this and Racing Arizona and Oh Brother Where Art Thou, these are all like worlds that exist in a dimension that we do not live 
Yeah. And I I think that uh, that has a very, like, natural fairy tale effect. Like, even though this movie, Fargo, takes place in a real city, in a real time, it's got this very, like, fairy tale quality to it. And I think there's a lot of bells in the score. That helps. <laughs> it sounds generic, but I'm, I swear to God, bells make yeah, something sound, sound fairy tale. It just exists. Like, those guys exist on a different level of existence. They're like a special kind of, like, on-the-spectrum artist yeah. that, like, can't be touched. You will only get, like, a couple of those a generation if you're mm. lucky. You know, like, you can't replicate. I remember, like... Well, I don't remember, but like I'm aware of like Quentin Tarantino coming along, all of the Quentin Tarantino knockoffs. Like there was like a whole generation of dudes that wanted to be Quentin Tarantino and yeah. were making movies like that. And just like they were just all like, like if, if the Quentin Tarantino movies were A movies and all these movies were like D movies because you can't do that. Like only he can do that. Like only the Coen brothers can make a. Only no the, worries. If you need an answer, that's fine. I'm going to see who it is. Put him on the air. Is I think it was Sam Ball. Yeah, it's all good. Um, yeah, like only the Coen Brothers can make a Coen Brothers movie. Yeah, there's like there no is no off. there is no copying that. There is no learning what they're doing. Like the unless fact that the TV is Noah Hawley. unless your name is Noah Hawley, but like that dude kind of took like a a piece of it and ran in his own direction. Yeah, I don't. Let me just answer this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me see what this this guy wants. Hello, I'm on a I'm on a live podcast right now, going out to the world. Yeah, we're podcasting still. All right, bye. What are we talking about, Fargo? Uh, yeah, and there's no. Uh, I mean, No Holly's great, but that's one movie. I mean, the Coen Brothers as a whole. If you look at the catalog and the yeah, and like No Holly, I don't watch like. I don't watch seasons one and two of Fargo, the TV show, and think, like, man, they really, like, copied Fargo well. Or, like, this really really feels like the movie. To me, it feels like its own thing. Like, that is, like, sort of reminiscent of the movie or, like, plays on the same themes as the movie. Mm -hmm. But, like, I don't think of it as the one and the same, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's probably what they're going for. Yeah, like, the TV show is its own brand of genius. And even that, I think, is a fluke. Where like, like it, it's one of those things where it just so happens that they put this TV show in the hands of another person who just so happened to be a genius, mm-hmm. and that person took it and ran with it and made a brilliant thing. Like they could have very easily taken Fargo, the property, given it to somebody, and it would have just been a terrible TV show. Wouldn't, mm-hmm. wouldn't have lasted past one season. It's just, you know, it's just like flukes. It's just like flukes in cinema. Like, you just have these people who kind of, like, rise to the top, and they their particular brand of weird will never be touched again. And I feel like, like, the Coen brothers like that. Quentin Tarantino is like that. There's a ton of them. Wes Anderson is one of those. Yeah, Wes Anderson, his, uh... I do like his use of, like, unbelievable symmetry. Yeah. But you don't really see that as like aside from like Kubrick's like one point perspective right. theory. It's usually follows the uh, rule of thirds pretty closely. Yeah, because it's not always it's not always appropriate. You know, it's a it's a it's a cool thing to see a character like perfectly symmetrical, like um, spaghetti western style. If you have like mm-hmm. a, a door frame that is like a border uh, framing your 
shot, but it's, yeah. it, it doesn't always work. And if you overuse it, then it's it, it's pointless. You lose the effect. I feel like. I feel like even if you don't like Wes Anderson, there's there's you still have to admit that like no one else is going to do that movie. You're not going to see that from anybody else. Like no one else was going to make Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that's fair to say. I watch a lot of movies that are made by like these auteur directors. Um, like we were just talking about Snowden. Like it was an Oliver Stone movie. Like who's who's bigger than Oliver Stone? And it, it just felt like a movie that could have been made by anybody. There was no like clear voice to it that stood out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I, I feel like I know when I watch a Coen Brothers movie. I feel like I know when I watch a Quentin Tarantino movie, and I know when I watch. Like a Wes Anderson movie. Mm-hmm. There's no mistaking it for anything else. I mean, The Big Lebowski, like, stands on its own. Yeah. But that's another one that's kind of like, you can appreciate it as a comedy, or you can look at it as, like, a film noir kind yeah. of parody, or a film noir not parody. Because right. it has, you know, it meets all the criteria, uh, including the femme fatale and damsel in distress and really, really harsh shadows okay we could like there could be like an entire coen brothers uh, podcast yeah and there probably is which coen brothers movie do you want to rewatch next because <laughs> whenever i watch a coen brothers movie i'm always like god damn, i love the coen brothers and then uh, it like inspires me to watch another one the the coen brothers that i i want to watch next or the coen brothers movie that i want to rewatch what, what? Is, the same is there question. one you haven't seen? That's the same exact question. There, a, there's, only if you haven't seen Hail Caesar. I haven't seen Hail Caesar. I haven't either. You know which one I would rewatch is A Serious Man. I don't I've think never I, seen that one. I don't think I paid like as close attention to that movie as it deserved on the first go around, and uh, I, that's one that's deserving of a rewatch. Mm-hmm. I feel like that, and you know what? There's one that like I want to mention before we go off the air because I totally forgot about it. And it's my favorite Coen Brothers movie. Intolerable Cruelty. No. Oh. It's The Hudsucker Proxy. Oh. I love The Hudsucker Proxy. I love Tim it more than The Robbins. Big Lebowski. I'm sorry that I forgot about it. I'm, um, yeah, it's so good. The score is wonderful by Carter oh, Burwell. I've seen that. Carter Barwell? Burwell. Oh, yeah, he did The Fargo. I'm did sure he? he? Yeah, he that did makes most sense. of that. Um, yeah, it's, it's wonderful. The the whole thing like it's it's hilarious and like a lot of their movies it's like a send up of a form mm-hmm. you know like so like the Big Lebowski was kind of like film noir mm-hmm. and uh, Hudsucker Proxy is kind of like movies of the uh, 40s and 50s where mm-hmm. people talk really fast and work in newsrooms that sort of thing yeah like Frank Frank Capra movies that's that's funny yeah All right, I'll I'll watch that too yeah oh it's wonderful well what do you uh, what do you what do you want to do for the next podcast what's your what's your idea what's my idea um. Like, cool what, what cool kind of, world versus Roger cool Rabbit. Cool world versus Roger Rabbit. Is that the direction you want to go in? What kind of direction do you want to go? In? I I don't know. I've I like the idea of doing a bad movie episode. Yeah. Where we all pick because uh, there's different standards. Like when I think bad movie, I think of like wasted potential. Like okay. the room to me is not a bad movie because yeah. I gain a lot from the room. Yeah. A right. movie that you gain nothing from. Like Independence Day from. Resurgence was a yeah. bad movie. I'm trying to think of the worst movie that I've seen lately. I just don't... Like, at this point in my life, like, I don't have, like, a ton of, like, tolerance for, like, really bad movies. 
I don't yeah. I don't put them on like I used to. I know. I it used know. to be a thing where I was like, let's watch this. This will be terrible. And now like I I I only try to find things that will interest me. Which I know. Is sad. I can't even call Suicide Squad like mm. it's just it's it's whatever. It's like mind-numbing entertainment, and that's fine. Yeah. Not a, not every movie deserves to be or needs to be picked apart, but bad bad movie for me is a very specific criteria because I used to like pride myself on bad movies. What's uh? So we're coming up on the middle of summer, Jimmy, and do you have a favorite summer movie? Do you have a, do you have a movie that reminds you of summer? Uh, Weekend of Bernie's Two. Weekend of Bernie's. No, the first one is a very uh-huh. nostalgic movie for me. That's one of my favorite. Let's do Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Definitely. Okay. Well, next week we're doing Weekend at Bernie's. That's fantastic. You've been listening to 90.7 WAZU. Uh, you can hear the rest of our episodes on the SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash movieshowtheater. Uh, and you can catch us every Tuesday. So, Joey, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thank you, Jimmy. Great to be here. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) So until next Tuesday, this has been Movie Show Theater. I'm in. I can't sing, I ain't pretty, and my legs are thin. But don't ask me what I think of you. I might not give the answers that you want me to. to God, I knew he'd understand. He said, stick by me and I'll be your garden hand. But don't ask me what I think of you. I might not give the answer that you want me to.